All right, good morning, everybody. Merry Christmas. Finally. <laughs> We've had a good Christmas, though. You know how it's too short sometimes? Well, some of you don't know that, but I think it's too short. 48 hours or 24 hours isn't enough. We've been having, we had an actual extra Christmas. I know a lot of you do that. We've never done that before. We had like a, a, a 19th Christmas, and we're going to have a 25th. I'm just, I love it. All right. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 1 and 2 today, if you want to turn there in your Bibles, because tonight at 7 o'clock at our, at our candlelight service, we'll be doing Luke for the most part. Um, but I wanted to go through Matthew today. So, two chapters. We can do it. Before I forget, this Wednesday, no service. We take this week off to do some things around here. They got it all all the drywall fixed and painted before today. I mean, they just did a great job and all the ceiling tiles. And so there's other things we want to do. Um, so during this next week, don't come. And we're going to get all that stuff done because it'll smell. Well, there's things we do that just take a long time for the smell to get out and all that. And, and uh, so anyway, that's what's going on. All right, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the birth of your son. And we get to celebrate um, starting uh, today and then and then tomorrow as well, and um, you're just worthy of of our whole attention and 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 uh, all of our praise and adoration today. And we pray that everything that takes place here today, tonight, and tomorrow um, is just uh, well. There's nothing going on here tomorrow, I guess, God. But in our own hearts, in our own homes, uh, we just pray that you're glorified in all that takes place. In Jesus' name, Amen. I'm so giddy; I don't even know what's going on anymore. We start off with the genealogy of Jesus. Now, Matthew's genealogy, we're not going to go through it all. I'm just going to hit the high points. Um, but Matthew's genealogy is Joseph's line, okay? The genealogy in Luke chapter 3 is Mary's line, okay? So when we go through Joseph's line, it's amazing how God worked it out because, obviously, Jesus is not of the bloodline of Joseph, only of Mary, and that's going to come into play here in this genealogy. So that's why I wanted to hit it. But along with Joseph's genealogy and Mary's, because it's in there as well, we hit some very unusual people that you don't think would be in the line of a perfect king, you know, um, because we're very imperfect people. Uh, all of us are. Um, we've all got our flaws. We all have sins. We all have a past. And some of them are major deals, not just minor infractions against God's law, but some major things. And when we look at Jesus' genealogy in Matthew, we find major, major problems, uh, flaws in the people that God used. Some of them aren't even Jewish, which shouldn't be in a sense, but are. And um, God allows that. Uh, so this first section for this morning is meant to help us not to feel worthy, but to feel at least not excluded because of our past. None of us feel worthy to be a son or daughter of the most high God at all adopted into his family. None of us feel like he owed it to us. Um, but there's certainly nothing in our past that can keep us from that. And he demonstrates that here in this genealogy. So verse one, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. He goes, Matthew, a former tax collector, um, hated by all, but really intelligent, um, very literate, um, very organized person. 
Um, and so uh, when he writes his, and that's why it's first, it's very detail-oriented and very um, uh, complete. It's very thorough. So he goes all the way back to Abraham. Abraham begot Isaac, Isaac begot Jacob, and Jacob begot Judah. His brothers, Judah, begot Perez, Zerah by Tamar. Now, Tamar is an interesting story. Um, Tamar, um, husband died and was forced to live in uh, basically a widowhood in her father-in-law's house. And he just said, that's it. You're not going to... Well, she goes out and gets the idea that while her father-in-law is traveling uh, to change her appearance, dress up like a harlot or a prostitute, and sit by the side of the road as prostitutes would do, and she solicits her own father-in-law. That's in the genealogy of Jesus Christ, okay? That's a major flaw. That's a major deal. Um, and puts that in here. And so we don't want to go into any more detail than that, but that's a major deal. And, and mentioned, there's, there's four women mentioned here um, in the genealogy, which isn't normal for Jewish tradition. Um, but God makes sure, that, and Matthew makes sure, and you can see why Matthew would pick this and not just go through the males. Because he's deeply flawed as a human being, Matthew was. Um, being a tax collector is one thing. It's not that every IRS agent's a bad person, but no. Um, to be a, that kind of person in that day and age would mean you were aligned with Rome, their oppressors, which would make it even worse than being the person who would collect taxes. You're now working for uh, the Gentiles to collect taxes from your own people. So Matthew is very aware of his of his shortcomings and how he how he looked to the rest of the world. And the fact that Jesus said, "Come follow me," um, of course he would. That's amazing to be invited in um, to that kind of circle. So he mentions Tamar. The next one we want to mention is uh, Boaz. Boaz uh, was born of Rahab. Rahab. Um, Rahab was not Jewish. Uh, she was in the town of Jericho. If you don't remember the story, the nation of Israel gets led out of Egypt by Moses. They wander for 40 years. They come up to uh, the, the Jordan River to come across into the promised land from going from east to west. Um, and the first city they encounter is Jericho. And that's the one they march around. And that's all they had to do in the and the thing fell. Well, they sent out spies to go into this Jericho to see how hard it was going to be to take it out. And that's just what they do. You know, it was going to be God's. It didn't matter how hard, but they thought they'd check it out first. Tamar is another prostitute within Jericho, not a, not a Jewish person that hid the two spies from the authorities in the town so that they could escape freely. And it was accounted to her as righteousness. And she even lied in the process. The whole story's Amazing. And, and, and theologians argue it to this day. She lied. I don't know if she was that righteous. I don't know if she should have lied. I don't, I don't know. God seemed to be okay with everything in the sense that, not that, I don't know. <laughs> he, he uses her, you know? She's included in it. It's by you that I'm going to break this Messiah into this world. The fact that you stepped out of and, and did something way beyond what's expected. You know, way beyond what, uh, out of your comfort zone, out of what, uh, just completely out of character for who you are or who you've become. She becomes this savior in a sense for the nation of Israel by protecting these two spies and allowing them to go on. And she's used. 
The next one is Ruth. Ruth is a Moabitess, another person that isn't Jewish. She was brought in to the Jewish fa- uh, family and uh, another person uh, brought in. We move on down to Solomon, um, the smartest man that ever lived, the wisest man that ever lived. But does anybody know who his mom is? Most, some Christians do, some Christians don't. Um, um, but as, as David is not at the battle where he's supposed to be, and he's on top of his house, and he, and he looks down and he sees Bathsheba. This is Uriah's wife. Well, this is, this is her son, Solomon. None of that was okay. That whole story with David and Uriah and Bathsheba, none of it was okay. And the baby dying and all, and the next baby being Solomon and so on. None of that was okay. And God wasn't okay with any of it. And this isn't his stamp of approval on that. But what we do see here is God using something that was horrible and sinful. And he says, I can still work out my plan and my will. None of this is going to thwart my plan and my will. I can still work. I wouldn't say use it for good, but he does use it for good in a sense. He brings about the Messiah through this, uh, through this relationship that should have never been. You know? and, and a lot of people have those relationships in their past. Things that should have never been. Things that should have never gone the way they went down. And, and does that disqualify me? Does that make me less or less usable by God? And it doesn't. And it doesn't. God uses these things in people's lives. And so Solomon was born out of that um, strange relationship. We move on down to verse 11. Josiah begot Jeconiah. Now here's where it gets interesting. Jeconiah has a different name in the Old Testament, but it's by this Jeconiah, Jeremiah the prophet, 22 through, uh, chapter 22, verse 30. There's a curse pronounced on this man that nobody from his family line can sit on the throne, even though he's in the right bloodline, that's it. Nobody from your family, nobody from your bloodline can sit on the throne. And so how can he be in Jesus' bloodline, which he's not, is the, is the thing, is the, is the interesting trick, or not trick, but the, the path God says is, I want Joseph, I want you to be a part of it, but the child can't be yours, it has to be mine for one thing. And second of all, there's a curse in your past, and yet you're still of the, the right tribe, but the curse still holds true. And it's amazing how God worked all that out. And so this Jeconiah is in this lineage of Joseph, who is... Uh, Jesus' surrogate father, basically. And it goes on from there. Beautiful uh, story uh, of all these people in God's, in, in his life. And there's verse 17. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. From David until the captivity of Babylon are 14 generations. And from the captivity of Babylon until Christ are 14 generations. Now, there's a great significance there. I, you know, you look it up and try to find numbers and things and see if that means something. It doesn't. He's just tracking because he doesn't name all 14 generations in the genealogy, which is common. Um, they would skip people and go over a couple kings and so on. But just to, to make it clear, there were 14 generations, even though he mentions only 11. That's all that's there for. Okay. Verse 18. Now, after the birth of Jesus Christ uh, was as follows. After his mother Mary had, uh, was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, he it was, it was minded to put her away secretly. 
But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Sorry, hold on a minute. There we go. That's the problem with using your phone for notes. Uh, notifications coming through. Um, that which is, uh, is of the Holy Spirit, um, that's who's conceived this child. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So there's a lot there. Um, the first thing is this, that Mary was betrothed to Joseph. There was phases to a Jewish uh, marriage. The first one would be a promise. Basically, you're, you're promised to one another. Usually a parent would arrange that, you know, when you were young. Uh, later on, it's the betrothal, and that would last about a year long before the final marriage would take place. And the, and the only way to get out of a betrothal would be through uh, a divorce. You actually had to get it. So it was, it was if you're married, except there was no physical relationship. So that was the condition they were in with Joseph and Mary. They were in the betrothal phase, and she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. This is difficult for Joseph. This is difficult for Mary. And we'll talk about that a little bit um, in a minute. But Joseph is the one who's got a decision to make. My, my future wife, and as good as my wife, has just told me, and we've discovered, she's got a baby bump, you know? And she's telling me that this is of the Holy Spirit, or this is of, you know, the angel Gabriel came and told me all these things. We'll read that tonight. Well, I don't know that he didn't believe her, but he thought, I can't do this because he's a just man. That's part of it. Part of his justness was my reputation is on the line. I've been a godly man. I've done the right thing. I've made decisions in my life uh, so that I'm pleasing to God. For me to be attached to this is going to be a stain on my reputation. And Mary is the same situation. This is a godly young woman. This is a beautiful woman that's been walking with the Lord, has made decisions to be pleasing to God. And she is being asked by God to take on this same uh, stain, to say the least, for the rest of the world as they look on and see that they're sinners, you know. Wrongfully accused is the idea. Jesus, the one who's going to go to the cross for our sins, not for his own, to be misunderstood the entire time in this entire life to the point of they put him on a cross is going to have two parents that understand. They're going to know this. Both of them live their lives to follow the Lord, to love the Lord. Both are going to have to make a decision to do what God asks them to do despite their stain on their reputation. That's a hard thing to serve God. To be wrongfully accused is to be expected. When he tells us to pick up our cross and to follow him, that's part of it. You can't prepare anybody for that. We, we do ministry teachings here and try to help people understand what it means to serve God and how to serve God. You don't want to be a volunteer. You want to be a servant of the Lord. Um, there's a difference between the two. A volunteer does it on, at, at, at their convenience. A servant does it at God's convenience. This is a, there's a big difference. And as much as you teach and train and give books and do all these things, it's very difficult to teach this portion of being a servant of God. To quietly do what God's called you to do, faithfully, being led by the Holy Spirit, regardless of the criticism that comes. It's a very difficult thing. 
to know that at times there'll be misunderstandings, false accusations, things like that. It's very difficult. Mary and Joseph are both asked to do this. Don't be afraid, Joseph, to take Mary to be your wife, for what is born in her is of the Holy Spirit. It's of me. It's my plan. And Joseph agrees to it. She's going to bear a son, and you're going to call him Jesus. Now, this is supernatural. Um, Jesus, uh, or Joseph, is informed uh, by a dream. Uh, that's how God speaks to him and is able to speak to him. It's one of the many ways God can speak to us is through dreams. Um, for the most part, he speaks through his word, but he can do whatever he wants to do, and that's, that's part of it. Um, this, uh, this Jesus, the, the name, um, is Yahweh Shua. And it's a contraction of those two words, Yahweh and Shua, Jesus. And the contraction turns out to be Joshua is the, is the contracted verb. So just like we say are not, aren't, that's the same thing here. Yahweh, Shua combined is Joshua. Um, and it means God's salvation. That's what you're going to call him. He's got two names. The prophet tells us that it's Emmanuel, God with us. And now he's also told to be called Jesus, which means God's salvation. Very important. Very important. Now, the next section, verse 22. So all this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. And that's from Isaiah 7.14. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her, did not have any physical relationship with her until she had brought forth her firstborn son and he called his name Jesus. Now after that, they have many children after that and we have that documented in scripture. Um, but until then, he was not to touch her. He's just to stay clear, obviously, and to let her have this with the Lord and have this baby and, and be called. So that is Joseph's story and that's where he is. Now they're in Bethlehem now from, from what we understand. This is, our, this is where we get our uh, fill in. We fill in the gaps in Luke and all those things, but Matthew leaves it here with us. They're in Bethlehem. Um, I like to talk about this all the time, probably too much, or I make more of it than it really is, but Genesis 22, Psalm 22, Luke 22 are all examples of, um, first of all, Genesis 22 describes Abraham taking his son Isaac to the top of the mountain to sacrifice him. Well, that mountain is Mount Moriah. Okay. In Psalm 22, we see the prophecy of what would take place to the Messiah being suffering and all that. And then in Luke 22, we see Jesus carrying the wood on his back, the sun, up the same hill, Mount Moriah, to be crucified. And so the Genesis 22 and, so, and Proverbs, or, or Luke 22 all come together. The, the, the foreshadowing, the prophecy, and the fulfillment of those three chapters all come together here at that point at Mount Moriah, at that place, same place, uh, miraculously. Well, it's in that Genesis 22 story that's very interesting how it's worded. Genesis 22.8 says this, and now this is New King James. And so sometimes New King James is wrong. I don't like it, um, but that's what I use to teach from. Sometimes King James is great. Sometimes I don't like it. Sometimes it's wrong too. Um, um, but I want to show you the two and the difference, okay? So in New King James, it says this in Genesis 22a, And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself 
up for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. Abraham is taking Isaac up the hill. He's got the wood in the back. The father's got the knife, the instrument of wrath in his hand. And, and they're walking up the hill and, and Isaac notices they don't have a sacrifice. Where's the, where's the, where's the ram? You know? Well, Abraham says, well, we'll talk about that when we get to the top of the hill. Well, that's not exactly what he says. But he says, God will provide for himself, it says that in, in, in the New King James, the lamb for a burnt offering. Okay. Now, in the King James, it says this, it takes a word out. It takes the word for out, and it makes a big difference, I think. And Abraham said, my son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering, not for himself, but himself. So we have Emmanuel, God come in the flesh, carrying the cross, Jesus Christ carrying the cross, the the wood on his back. God, the father with the instrument of wrath in his hand, pours out his wrath on his own son at this same location. We see that. If you could put that first picture up of the ram, I think this is interesting because they look and they find a ram trapped in the thorns up on top of this hill in Genesis 22. Okay. And you get the second picture here. And we see Jesus. And then the next picture, if you don't mind. The similarities between these two, of course, Jesus is the, the lion, uh, the tribe of Judah. And then, uh, can you do the final one here? It's just, an in, it's just very interesting how the picture is so complete that even the ram is caught in the thorn thicket up there. And later on in that same mountain, the lamb comes up, Jesus Christ, with the thorn, crown of thorns on his head. I mean, whose idea was it to put the thorns on Jesus' head? When have they ever done that for a crucifixion? Never. It's never been done in Roman history. But they decided, being unwittingly used by the Father, by our Father in heaven, to fulfill this prophecy of Genesis 22 by placing these crown of thorns on Jesus. And as he's going up the hill, anybody that's ever read Genesis 22 is going to be like, oh my goodness, it's unbelievable what God is doing here. It's unmistakable. So they go up the hill. Um, and this is where Jesus is born. Bethlehem, uh, Jerusalem, and all this is on this, uh, it's like a ridge, a chain of this. And the whole thing is considered Mount Moriah. The whole thing is. So anyway, Beautiful picture of God fulfilling prophecy here. Um, in Genesis twenty-two thirteen through 14, Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its thorns, or by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day in the Mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. And of course, we celebrate that, the birth of this lamb um, in the next few days here. All right, moving on. Chapter two of of Matthew. Now, this is a, a ways afterwards. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, the stable is done, okay, um, in Bethlehem of Judea. In the days of Herod, the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he? who has been born king of the Jews, for we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. It's his star. It's nobody else's star. It's not a combination of Jupiter and some other planet coming together and and all these things. And I I disagree with that thought. And I'll tell you why, because it's in in chapter, uh, let's see, eight or verse verse eight or verse nine, where it says that the star stood still. 
Um, planets don't do that. Nothing that's in orbit does that. This is prepared for him. Think of it this way. Think of it more like Jonah who had a fish prepared for him to take him to where he needed to go. No ordinary fish. It was prepared by God for this specific purpose. You know, had a big enough stomach to hold a guy and keep him alive until he got all the way to Nineveh. Okay, so this star is very similar to that. This star was his star. No other star, nor would it ever be reproduced again. This is it. These wise men coming from the east, we assume, and I make an assumption here so you can throw this out, that they're getting their information from Daniel. Okay, uh, Daniel was one of the Jewish uh, prophets who was taken captive by Babylon and lived there and wrote many things. Many of his prophecies were written there. And so these were pulled out of mothballs, basically, and the wise men are studying these things and say, there ought to be a king being born about right now. Based on our calculations, based on this Daniel 9 that we've been reading, we ought to have something to look for. And sure enough, here comes this star. They said, this is it. Um, and so they begin to, to follow. If you'll put up the wise men for me, it just gives people something to look at. <laughs> There's a lot of pictures of wise men. I thought this was kind of a cool one. Now, we think there's three because there's three gifts. We don't know. Um, but it's a safe bet that there weren't four and the guy forgot to bring his gifts. So three, is, it's fair. I think it's fair. Now, here's the thing. These are not tiny guys, you know, as far as stature goes. These are bigwigs traveling. And now, I don't know, but these guys don't travel without an entourage. I don't think it's three guys in a camel just kind of trucking through with bags of gold. I mean, it was like the Wild West out there. You don't travel alone. Everybody traveled in caravans. And these guys bringing these gifts to Jesus, knowing that they're going to seek out a king, aren't going to show up with their wallets, you know, and say, well, here's a 20. Happy birthday. You know, it's not like that. This is tribute. You're bringing tribute, basically, to this king. They go to the palace to bring tribute, and they ask Herod, where's the king of the Jews? He's like, well, I'm the only king here, interestingly enough. Super paranoid guy, by the way. Herod was a super paranoid guy. Um, always thought everybody was out to get him and, and all. And, and, and so when he hears this and he sees these guys with probably their entourage with them, probably 100-plus people with these guys, security, uh, just uh, support staff, you know, who's going to cook, who's going to set up the tents, all these things, you know, it's a, it's a big deal. So they come into town, we're here to see the king, and he's like, well, let me know when you find him, is basically what he comes up with, let me know. So if you put up that other picture, the next one, if you don't mind, this is a wonderful painting, I mean, if, if you like this sort of stuff, I do, um, it's in Italy, um, and it kind of shows, that's probably what it looked like, this train of of entourage that are coming into into uh, Jerusalem to see this king. Eh, we don't know, but that's that's what, that's our guess. We've been following the star. Where is he now? Verse three, back in our text. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And they would. All Jerusalem knew these guys were here. That's why I think there's a lot of people. They said, "Who is? What is this? It's like a parade." And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. How come these guys know and I don't know I'm the king? Fill me in on some of these prophecies, okay? So these guys do tell him, so they said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. 
Okay, so they read Micah 5, 2 to him. It was written 700 years before Christ was born, a prophecy. You want to put up the last picture for me? And then that's where we'll stop. So there they are. They moved from Jerusalem with their group. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared, and he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child, and when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. Well, he's lying, of course. Um, That's not why he wants to see them. He's concealing the truth of what he wants to do and tells these guys. Now, these guys don't know Herod like everybody else does. Um, And so they believe him. And they're, yeah, we'll let you know when we find him. Okay, you know, kind of strange you're not joining us, but okay. Um, We'll let you know when we find him. Verse 9, when they heard the king, they departed. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. Now we've moved. Time has happened here. Jesus is no longer in the stable. He's not in the manger. I know we get that idea, and I know I probably say this every year, but I think it's important to get our, our, our picture right of what's happened. Um, Jesus is going to be born in Bethlehem. He's going to be coming out of Egypt, and he's going to be raised in Nazareth. And you need to jive all these things with the other Gospels. Some Gospels mention all of it. Some of them mention some of it. doesn't mean it's not true. It's just that some decided to talk about it and some didn't. So the story is this. They, they come to Bethlehem. There's no room in the inn. They go to the stable. They have the baby. They don't stay in the stable. They move into a house. Okay, and that's when the wise men show up. It's been a while. They're not looking for a baby. They're going to find a child. Okay, about two years old is how old he is by the time they see him. They've already been to Jerusalem to the temple. They've already seen Simeon. They've already seen uh, Anna. They've already had the prophecies over him. They've already done what's right. Okay, so this is a year later or so. When they heard the king, they departed and went, and they saw the uh, star stood still over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. They'd lost him, you know. The star disappeared and it came back. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Um, Those are going to be very useful, okay. Um, they're normal things to give. They're very costly. They're, they're valuable. They're, um, they're dense in the sense that grain is valuable too, but you don't want to bring 15 truckloads of grain to some baby. You know, you put it in a check form. This is, this is their version of a check. You know, uh, here's gold. It's uh, worth a lot and it's easy to carry kind of thing. And here's some frankincense and here's some myrrhs. Uh, you know, it's very portable and very usable and, and, uh, and very practical for them. Then being divinely warned in a dream, so they've done their worship, they've given the gifts. Joseph and Mary are as amazed as when they saw the the shepherds come, which we'll read tonight, to come and worship. Um, And they've got the prophecies of of Anna and Simeon, and and now they've got these wise men and their entourage that have come and bestowed gifts upon them. I mean, what a deal. Constant confirmation and affirmation of God's plan in their life. They're going to need this. These are things that Mary will hold on to for 30 years. It's going to make, make and help her get through so many difficulties and hardships, and God does that for us. One of the things I did when I felt called to be a pastor was I wrote down the scriptures that God gave me. I got five of them at a conference, and I wrote them down. 
Um, the things that I knew God had spoken to me and nobody else, I got confirmation, but they came to me and I said, okay, this is it. This is it. I wrote them down because God encouraged us to do so, but also I knew I would need those later on when you have doubts. Is it me? Did I do this for myself? You know, um, should I even be doing this anymore? Those, those things, those things cross your mind, you know. These things are going to cross Mary, Mary's mind. Joseph's too. We don't know how long he lives. We assume he died pretty early on after the other children were born. Um, but they're going to have doubts. They're going to have difficulties. And these things they're going to hold on to. Every time this happens, it says that Mary kept these things in her heart. She pondered them sometimes, and other times she kept these things in her heart. These are things I hold on to, you know. I encourage you, anytime you have one of those moments with the Lord, where you know that he spoke to you, to I, they call it journaling. You can write it in your Bible. You can write it wherever you want. You could just remember it, memorize it, or whatever you need to do. Because um, those are times that are just very personal. But it's not a philosophy that you've joined. It's not some religious group that you're a part of. It's not, you're not just trailing. This is an actual relationship, and you've had a conversation with him, or he's shared something with you, and you write these things down, and you hold them in your heart for later. When, when he isn't as loud as he was that day, or when he hasn't spoken in a while, but is still as close to you now as he ever was before, you hold on to those things. Say, no, I, I know what I experienced. I know what I heard. I know what he showed me. You know, Mary's going to do these things. She's got all these gifts. These guys get divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, and they departed for their own country another way. I bet that was a hard trip back. You wouldn't want to leave, you know, but they did. They went back. But they also listened to the divine warning. Don't go back the way you came. Don't tell Herod about this. It's not time for that. Now, verse 13, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. This is the second time God has spoken to Joseph. I want you to arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt and stay there until I bring you word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. This is wonderful for Joseph. You know, there's a lot of different ways God could have handled that. I mean, why not just take Herod out? You know, why do you have to flee to Egypt? You know, why does all these things, why do all these things have to happen? And our answer as Christians is, well, their prophecy needs to be fulfilled. Well, kind of. It does, but it didn't have to go that way, and we didn't have to prophesy that it was going to go that way. God has a reason for doing all of this. There's a picture that he's trying to, 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 to portray, to, to, to make happen. I, when we get, um, and maybe you've seen this, uh, a rug or something like that that's really been hand done. Maybe you bought it from Etsy or something. And it's just this beautiful pattern and all that. And you turn it over on the other side and you see the squiggles and the craziness that's on the backside of the tapestry. And you're like, this, this is crazy. But when you turn it over, it makes total sense. Well, that's what God's doing. From our perspective as humans, we're looking at the backside of a rug for the most part. We're like, I haven't, I mean, why? Why did you jump all the way over there? Well, turn it over and let me show you. And sometimes he lets us see the picture and sometimes he doesn't, you know. I look at my life so far. How old am I? 54 now? I think 53. I don't know how old I am. I could do the math, but uh. And the path he took me on, I mean, it's different from everybody else's. Everybody's got their own thing that they did. 
But the way he brought it all together, you just start seeing more and more. That was not a coincidence like I thought it was. That wasn't just a a bad decision. That wasn't a poor choice. That wasn't a great choice. That wasn't just, this all makes sense. The older I get, every single thing that happened in my life, oh, that's why that person came into my life. So I'd learned that one little thing, and now I'm using it 30 years later. It's amazing how God does that to flip my rug over, you know, and look at it and say, this is crazy. It's making sense. Oh, you know, that's why he's doing it. God is doing that with every one of us in this room. You're here this morning for a reason. You may come once and never see us again. For this teaching, it's for you. It's just for you. And it's the only one you need from us. And you're going to go on and find somebody else and somebody else is going to teach you something else. And it's all part of it. It's absolutely all part of it. It's wonderful how God works. So, um, I want you to take her to Egypt. It's, oh, it's kind of a choice every time. Jo- Joseph, don't be afraid to take her to be your wife. He didn't have to, but he did. He chose to obey God. I want you to take this child to Egypt. Okay, I will absolutely do that. There is so much turmoil for Joseph. Um, maybe today we would call it just unnecessary drama in his life because of this. He signed on willingly for this. He just signed on to it, but he didn't have to. God chose him. You're a righteous man. I've been watching you, Joseph. I've watched you protect your reputation and try to live your life pleasing to me. I want to use you, and I'm going to ask you to do something here. I want you to marry this woman that is birthing my child, and I want you to be the father to this child for me, the earthly father. And I want you to be the protector and the provider, and I want you to do all these things. You know, are you willing to do that? And he is. What an amazing man, you know. We don't talk about him a lot because the Bible doesn't say a lot about Joseph, but from what we know about him, wow, you know. And it isn't for fame because he's not made famous necessarily in the Bible. He's always the extra guy. He's always the shadow, you know. He's always the guy. Even when they set up the nativity, there's, there's Jesus and there's Mary and then Joseph's over here, you know, kind of thing. Just said, I don't know, I got fresh straw. I don't know what I'm supposed to do here, you know, kind of thing. I found some cloth and, and wrapped them in it and so on. And, and I tried to hold her hand the best I could as she was going through labor and hard. What a hard calling, but he accepted it. Verse 14, when he arose, when he woke up, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt. I mean, he didn't waste any time. Let's go. And was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, out of Egypt I called my son. And so he is going to go sit in Egypt, and he's going to wait for dream number three, or conversation number three with God. I won't come back until I hear that Herod's dead, and then, and then God, but God will let me know. And isn't that wonderful that we have all this gold and frankincense and myrrh that we can use for these traveling, you know, for getting into Egypt and out of Egypt Um, amazing how God works. Verse 16, then Herod, back to Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry, and he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and in all its districts from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping, and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Jeremiah 31.15, a horrible, 
horrible time here, um, a horrible event that took place. That was the scariest part of watching Jesus of Nazareth. That's how I got saved, by the way. And uh, to see that scene in that moment was uh, just horrific to think about. Um, You wonder why that's put in the story. And I even debated this morning, was this something you really want to talk about? Maybe there might be kids in the crowd and all that. And um, and you you just have to trust God's words okay for everybody all the time, you know. Um, it is a difficult thing to think about and what maybe what we've made the manger out to be and, and the life of the, the infancy and the, and, the, and the childhood of Jesus, warm and, and cozy, and it, it wasn't. It was very, very hard. It was very cold and, 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 and a terrible place to have a baby inside of a, a manger, inside of a, um, when there's no place in, a, in the hotel for them and, and so on. It was a terrible place. Uh, to, to take a, a young child like that and travel all the way into a foreign country, Egypt. These people have never been to Egypt before. I mean, it's a whole new culture. We steer clear of Egypt. Moses brought us out of Egypt. We do everything in our lives to keep ourselves from Egypt, you know. And God's telling us to go there and find refuge there until this Herod is dead. And the fact that the number one ruler in, in, in Israel wants to kill your child, you know, this was not an easy time for them, and it wasn't um, convenient, and it wasn't cozy. There were moments that God gave them hope and encouragement. Anna, Simeon, the shepherds, the wise men. But that was because it was going to be so difficult. And I say that because it's at these times of year that we ask people, if you haven't made a commitment to Jesus Christ, if you haven't received him as your Lord and Savior, we want you to do so. But it isn't cozy. The calling of God upon your life, you're saved. You have eternity with God. You will be filled with the Holy Spirit, and the weight of the sin that has entangled you will be lifted, and the shame and the guilt will go. And that is wonderful, and that's why we come to Christ. But your walk with Jesus is going to be very difficult. I think that's important to share with people before you encourage them to receive Christ. They need to understand that part of it. Joseph, you're going to be accused falsely of marrying a woman who's going to have a child born out of wedlock, and they will think that of you and speak that about you everywhere you go. What everybody used to say about Joseph was, there goes Joseph, there's Joseph, Joseph, you know. And a lot of people in this world have that kind of reputation with the world. But he's a great man, or that's a great woman. and Oh, she's very active in the community, and oh, he's always been... And when you come to Christ and begin to live for Jesus Christ, to have those same people not talk about you that way anymore, to actually disdain you for your relationship with Jesus Christ is going to be a very new experience for you and very difficult. It's important to know that that's a part of it. We carry a cross with us wherever we go, and the cross isn't deserved, but it's a necessity for us as Christians to have that and to be available, to be crucified by whomever, whenever. They're in Egypt now, verse 19. Now when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, dream number three, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the young child's life are dead. Then he arose and took the young child and his mother and came to the land of Israel. 
But when they heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea instead of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there, and being warned by God in a dream, he turned aside into the region of Galilee, and he came and dwelt in the city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. And we see all the places that the Messiah was supposed to come from. He came from all three. Every prophecy fulfilled. Everything was perfect. Two godly parents, one a surrogate, one the actual bloodline, which is Mary, loving Jesus, taking on this reputation of um, just being falsely accused and willing to raise this child in this, and then seeing him grow and do his ministry and do so much good and be hated by so many, was able to help him through that or to be support and encourage him through these things, you know. Um, I want you to be encouraged this morning in that as we close today. Um, Christmas is wonderful, and I'm excited to celebrate. It's one of these times that, uh, of the year where we, it is warm. It is cozy. We surround ourselves with each other, believers. Uh, we encourage each other. Uh, we sing songs together about our our the same Savior, you know, about our same Jesus, the same one that saved me is the same one that saved you. We have that time. And January is coming. 2024 is coming. I think it's going to be a very interesting year for all of us, by the way. Um, I don't know what kind of storm waits for us or waits for you, but be encouraged during this season be lifted up and bolstered in this season so that when that season comes, you're prepared. You're prepared and you're able to withstand just like Jesus or just like God does for these. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for Matthew's detail, um, for his, uh, his desire to, co- to, to share all that he knew about your birth and about your uh, reasons for coming in, in the, in the his- history, God. Um, these are all for us. These things are written for our admonition to encourage us, Lord, and to, and to teach us. And we were taught. Some of us didn't know there were that many dreams. Some of us didn't know that there were three different locations and that you came out of all of them. Some of us didn't know the details of your birth and the difficulty and the celebration that took place at the same time. But now we do. And we thank you for that. We're holding on to that, Lord. As we celebrate with our friends and family or we celebrate by ourselves, we... Uh, We lift our hands to you in praise and adoration this morning. We thank you for this time together as believers and lovers of you. We thank you for that. And Lord, for those that may be even here this morning that don't know you or have never made a personal relationship with you, never received you as their savior, they want to do that this morning. They feel that pull, that tug on their heart that they need to be reconciled to you, that they don't want to know about you, but they want to know you personally. They want you to speak to them as, as you've spoken to these other saints in the Bible, God. And so this morning, we confess our sins to you. We confess that you're Lord, that you died on the cross for our sins, that you rose again, that you made a way for us to have eternity with you by taking the penalty of our sins upon yourself at the cross. And that all of our sins have been paid for by your death, that we have nothing left to owe and that our eternity is secure with you and that heaven awaits because we believe that you made a way through your son, Jesus, the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. We thank you for providing yourself to making yourself available for that, that you loved us so much as JC prayed to love us so much that you made a way for us to spend eternity with you. You created us and you love us. 
Lord, we hold on to that this year. We hold on to that through this season, God. Help us to share this good news with as many people as will listen, Lord. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you need prayer before you go, please come up. Be glad to pray with you. Otherwise, Merry Christmas. Maybe we'll see you tonight, 7 o'clock.